0: Hey, I'm not good at this. <laughs> welcome to everyone at participating at today's service. Um, either in person or online, we welcome you to Maranatha. Um, I'm Joan Niedemeyer. I'm part of the finance team here at Maranatha, and I'm also the project leader for Operation Christmas Child. Um, for those of you new to Maranatha, we'd like, you, we'd like to get to know you. Please fill out the yellow slips that you have in the pews in front of you. Fill them out. Let us know if you have prayer requests. Let us know where you'd like to get plugged in. And you can return those yellow slips in either the collection box at the back of the sanctuary or on your way out there's a welcome desk in the lobby. We have announcements. Um, We have membership classes today at noon for those desiring to to become members at Maranatha. Uh, And if you have not signed up, please contact Stacy. She is in the back with the um, tech stuff, if you don't know Stacy. Um, Let her know that you want to join this group. And um, we need to know by the end of second service for um, adequate numbers for lunch and for the materials. And then we also have um, Might Get Loud. This is a worship night, Saturday, November twelfth, in the sanctuary at 630. Um, This worship time will be an energetic and loud time of worshiping um, with contemporary music. Everyone is welcome to that. Got that out there? And then we're celebrating each Sunday, we celebrate something that's going on at Maranatha. We want to celebrate last weekend, the women's retreat. They had a group here. And we're grateful for all those that helped make this a success and for those who came and joined us. And this Sunday is the kickoff for Operation Christmas Child. And, uh, We've got a short video first, and then I'll talk about what's going on here at Maranatha. Let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by
1: no means enter it. Operation Christmas Child is a way for the little children to come to Almighty God. That is
0: the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family.
1: The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus. Children are being discipled. And children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These children are brave and bold, not afraid, and they're not ashamed of the gospel. They're trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now.
0: Let them come, Jesus said, let them come. And they're coming. They're coming by the millions.
1: Every single box, represents the life of a young boy, a young girl, who will be touched by the gospel.
0: Jesus has come to give them light, that they do not need to be in the darkness, that they have hope, that they have joy. And it is our prayer that this glorious light of the gospel will flow among the nations and will fill our land with the knowledge of the glory of God. Lord God Almighty desires to fulfill His redemptive plan for mankind in and through each of us and all of us. All of us are children of God. We share this incredible opportunity to take the gospel truly to the ends of the earth by gathering children to Jesus. I believe this year for Operation Christmas Child, this may be the most important year, most important opportunity that we'll ever have to reach children in the name of Jesus Christ.
1: Pray that God will use these shoebox gifts to make a difference in the children's life for eternity.
0: Doesn't that warm your heart? On this cold morning, we have 70 days before Christmas, before we celebrate Christmas. But with Operation Christmas Child, 365 days of the year is, Chris, is Christmas for children receiving a shoebox. Most of them are hearing the word of Jesus for the first time. Most of them are receiving a gift for the first time. Last Sunday, Pastor Tony shared a picture um, I don't know if it's up there, but there was a picture he had of Jesus with the children. And he spoke from Mark chapter nine, verse 37. Whoever welcomes me, sorry, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is an opportunity for all of us to welcome the children. Stop by our table at the lobby and learn how you can participate. Giving Jesus to the world one shoebox at a time. And there are five ways you can participate. You can pack a shoebox, take a box home, pack with your family. You can donate items for Maranatha's packing party. That will be November 13th. And um, volunteer. We can always use volunteers for... We have a packing party, we have to set up for it and then we have collection week here at Maranatha. We collect the filled boxes um, throughout the Rice Lake area. Last year we collected almost 1,800 boxes and um, this year let's make it 2,000. Um, That's the week of November 14th through the 21st is collection week. Or you can make a donation and help us pay for shipping these shoeboxes. The ones that we pack at Maranatha, we have a goal of 750, and I think right now we've raised a little over $5,000. So we're getting close to our goal. Um, and, and if nothing else, pray. Pray for the success, a successful year that we reach the children with the good news of Jesus. Thank you.
1: Hey, let's take a moment and pray for that ministry. Just recently I was visiting Richard in the hospital and Franklin Grant was on TV with Samaritan's Purse helping out in Florida. And the person interviewing him wanted to press him on something political and he's like, wait a second. We're not here to be political. We're here to lift up Jesus Christ. And he just started preaching it and it was awesome. And he's like, Any pastor out there, this is about Jesus. This is not about your political thing or what. And he just gave it to him. It was awesome. So let's pray for that ministry. Father God, we do thank You for the beauty of Your great love. And there are many children who need to hear about Your Son, Jesus Christ. And this is one great privilege that we get in northwest Wisconsin. We can impact... Children in other countries. So, Lord, we pray you bless this ministry, bless them as they're still continuing to help down in Florida, bless this Operation Christmas Child. We pray that we could be a part. Press on our hearts what you would want us to do. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to, this is not a medical emergency, but I'm going to ask someone who's got medical training to help me out with something. So Kelsey, are you available? I think you're over there. Come on up. When I was a medic, I remember one time we were training and doing stuff and and, uh, we had this little exercise. So I'm going to have you, um, in fact, I'm going to put this apron on you so you don't get messy. You're like, okay, great. So put this on. Okay. Here's some gloves. You take some gloves out. Sorry, I just grabbed extra large because that's what I have for my hands. All right. So put those gloves on and what's important about putting protective gear on when you're doing medical things, you don't want to get blood per se on you. So what I'm going to do, not to test how good you are at this, but I'm going to put ketchup on your gloves and we're going to pretend it's blood. This is just ketchup, all right. So don't freak out. And then what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to see if you can remove your gloves without getting ketchup on her skin, her hair, her lips, or oh, you know, okay, all right. So if, we'll do it over here. A little, have you ever done something like this? Oh, okay. Oh, look at all that. Rub it around a little. bit. Okay. Let's say, all right. Now let we got blood ketchup on the outside. Let's see if she can remove her gloves properly without getting ketchup on her skin. All right. She's using one glove to peel the other one. Whoa! Give her a hand. Oh okay hold on a second so she did a great job I probably would if I if there were little kids here I wouldn't have called them because they would have licked it and all that stuff all right you know but it's it's important this is this is a good practice if you're wanting to be a nurse which she is or whatever you wanted if you want to be a medic that's something you can practice there's a proper way of taking gloves off so you don't just take one off and be like oh great now I got well how am I get this blood off my skin all this stuff so When you're doing those kind of things, you can see this was very easy to see. We got red ketchup, it was easy to see. And we want to get rid of the things around us. And we have been going through Scripture, and two weeks ago, Jesus and the disciples dealt with evil on the outside, and she did a great job making sure she was not contaminated by contaminants from the outside. Easy to see. But one of the problems is, sometimes we don't see the stuff that's hidden mind taking off your fancy apron there all right turn it around and we've got ketchup on the inside I was gonna cover it with ketchup but that would have been good thank you give her a hand for here's the problem Christianity has fallen into this trap sometimes of Beware of the evil on the outside, which is true. There's demons all around. That's true. And we got to be careful for the contaminants of this world, its philosophies, its ideologies, and what's being taught sometimes is so contrary to the Word of God from the outside. Correct? Very true. But there's also sin within. And sometimes as Christians, we get caught in this trap by fighting the forces on the outside and never dealing with the sin within. And we need freedom from sin. Amen? Not just that from the outside. And often we pretend that we're strong And our sins are small. They're kind of kept behind the apron there. We're fine. It didn't stain my clothes. I'm doing fine. It's easy to see the evil outside in the world all around us and the effects of sin, but sometimes it's hard to see the sin within and the, the deceitfulness. Especially those kind of small hidden sins. Here it is. Imagine if we were a church that was quick to repent of sins, Small sins. The sins within. Imagine what the Lord would do within our church, within your family, within your lives. Today's a great day, isn't it? So let's pray before we get into our passage. Father, I thank You for the beauty of Scripture. And I thank You for this passage at hand that we have. And Spirit, we come to You right now. Your ultimate goal, as we see in Scripture, is to glorify Christ. And You do that in a variety of ways. And one way that You do that is to convict. You comfort. You counsel. But You also convict. So Spirit, we willingly right now ask that You do Your work. Because some of us, were good at fighting sin on the outside, the evils of this world, and we can tell You all about that. And we can take the gloves off and not get a, a smidgen of ketchup on us. But while on the inside looms this raging war so Spirit, do your work. And today, Jesus, through your name is victory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Alright, grab your Bibles and go to Mark chapter 9. We're going to finish up here, Mark 9, and then when we get into 10, instead of going the order that we have it in our Bibles, we're going to go... Kind of in the middle of 10, then to the beginning of 10, then towards the another middle part in the end. So we're going to kind of move all around here. But we're going to start with Mark chapter 10 this morning here. Mark 9, starting with verse 38. But what I want to do first is just cover something that's what we would call a textual thing that maybe you don't notice right away. And we're going to talk more about the textual issues that we sometimes come upon when we get into Scripture for our last sermon in mark when we finish the book of mark so take a look at our passage here up on the screen here or follow go to the next one next passage i don't know could we there 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 we go awesome awesome so read along in your bibles i'm going to read here up on the screen here let me just cover it says this if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me to stumble it would be better for them for a large millstone were hung around their neck and they're thrown into the sea verse 43 if you If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter maimed then with two hands and go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to pluck it out, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Do you notice anything here unique about this passage? In fact, if you ever want to the, memorize the easiest verses in the Bible, you could be like, I'm memorizing Mark chapter nine, verse 44. Wait a second. There is no what, what, look at that. Would someone like to read aloud Mark chapter 9, verse 46? You all just did it. What's going on here? So let me just briefly cover this here in a short paragraph. And again, I want to talk more. We're going to spend a whole Sunday talking about some of the textual things that we deal with sometimes, the topics here. Notice that 44 and 46 are missing. In fact, raise your hand if in your Bibles there's like a little note or something about that. Okay, some of, most Bibles will put like a little note or they'll just put in brackets Verse 44, it's not there. So the best, ancient, earliest manuscripts do not have verses 44 and 46. The earliest manuscripts that we have don't have that. And the later ones do. Where did they go? Did they disappear? Did we lose part of the Bible? Oh no, let's find them. No, that's not the issue here. Notice that the end here, verse 48, is a quote from the Old Testament. And later, when it was first written, when when Jesus said this, He didn't have that phrase in there. In the first earlier manuscripts, that phrase wasn't repeated as it was in the King James. So the King James, if some of you have the King James, you might go, hey, my King James has it. Later, A few centuries later, a scribe inserted verse 48 right after each of those. After 43, put that in there. After 45, he decided, you know what? It sounds better for a poetic reason. Scribes started putting that in so it had a better flow to it. So as we go through this passage, don't be started like, wait, there's a Bible verse missing. Well, again, the earlier manuscripts don't have that. The reliable ones that we have... Don't have that. So we'll talk again about that after Easter as we go. So let's get to our passage at hand. So sorry about that. You can move the slide up to where we have here. Let's look at verse 38. Teacher, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop. Now remember two Sundays ago, there was an issue. You know, they had the three were up with Jesus on this great Mount of Transfiguration. The other ones, the nine were there and the dad brought a boy. It just all got chaotic. Now we got this, John's like, hey, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop. Because he was not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name in the next moment can say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against is for us, truly I tell you. And when He gives you a cup of water in My name because you belong to the Messiah, you will certainly not lose your reward. So the disciples see this unknown exorcist, this anonymous exorcist casting out demons in Jesus' name. He's borrowing Jesus' name and doing the work of God. And what's troubling about their statements? is is not that someone's doing God's work, which happens in the Book of Acts? Someone outside of the group does God's work in the Book of Acts, or Paul in Philippians says, "You know what? They may not over there be doing with the right attitude, but at least they're doing God's work." The problem is what John says, and I think of God. No, I don't have it underlined here. He says this. He says he was not one of us. We're the disciples. And some outsider thinks that he can do God's work. We're the privileged ones. We're the ones walking behind you, learning all about the kingdom of God. And some guy, wouldn't even know, thinks he can do that. They were puffed up with pride. And it's ironic. The disciples are telling a man to stop casting out demons where just before, they couldn't do it, right? Right? So their pride is just there. Sin. The sin within. Oh, it's easy to be like, oh, there's a demon. Oh, there's bad stuff in this world. Absolutely. Someone that I know, a, a dear Christian friend of mine, all that person does is complain about the world and just all the problems. I'm like, no surprise. Look at Scripture. We shouldn't be that su-. Every day they're like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm like, I can believe it. It's easy to fight the sin outside, but sometimes the sin within. Pride and exclusivity against an outsider. Here's a major problem. They're more worried about the evil outside than the evil within themselves. This pride that they have. Beware of the sin that puffs you up To make you think that you're better than others. We're the better Christians. We're the elite. Let me be really serious with you here. Maranatha Church. That's a problem we have at times. We're the best Bible-believing church. No other church can, can match what we... Look at what we're doing. Look at all that we do. We kind of start going like this. We're the church that... I remember in arrogance, my first Sunday, in my mind, I was like, you know what? We're going to be the best church. We're going to have the best sermons here and anywhere in northwest Wisconsin. Yes, we are. Maranatha's the church, has had a problem with this. Let me, let me give you an example. I'm not here to point out specific people but I remember when I first got here, in the kitchen, there's this cabinet with our communion supplies. And there used to be a sign that said, elders only. Rules on communion. Elders only. No. And right away I was like, I've got to take that sign down. And that was hard to do. Now it just says communion supplies. So forgive us as leadership for sometimes letting you feel like, oh, you're unable to do that. I love it. Hint, hint, wink, wink. When you know someone who's at a hospital, when you have a friend who's unable to come to church, and you come to church and go, where are the communion supplies? I'd love to do communion with them absolutely it doesn't have to be an elder however they do i don't know it doesn't have to be a pastor we want you to do ministry amen we're the elite we're the better christians than any of you shame on us for that right john stott says that pride is more than the first of deadly sins it is itself the essence of all sin the sin within beware of it jesus doesn't condemn the unknown person but shows this contrast of the disciples attitude and work and gives a few reasons not to stop him just quickly here it's done in the name of jesus and if someone does something truly in the name of jesus They're not going to do something against Jesus. Either you're for Jesus or against Him. And clearly, this guy is for Jesus. And when someone does kindness in the name of Jesus, that's good. Don't stop them. If another church down the road in our town, in our county, is doing something amazing, don't go, "Mm, they're not doing it the right way. Better than the way we're not doing it possibly, right? at least they're doing something for the kingdom that's why I love to partner with other evangelical churches other Christian churches notice I use that this qualifier if it's not a Christian church ah, it's not a church then for the kingdom when casting out demons the man is doing God's work, He's on God's side. And a cup of water was important in this dry area of the Palestine area. Hospitality is very important, and that treatment is essential for disciples to have. We should all have a heart of hospitality. Even giving water, caring for people. So Jesus is teaching that there are awards in this life given to those who humbly treat others with kindness, with hospitality and all tasks are important from casting out a demon to serving someone water don't go well these are just for the elite people these are more important just care and serve people now let's go to verse 42 we're gonna cruise quickly through this passage because we want to spend a lot of time on application today if anyone causes one of these little ones, we read this whole section before. A few things about this section, verses 40 through 42 through 48. A few things about this section, and then we're going to talk about application because I want to spend a lot of time talking about sin and temptation. Number one, Jesus uses strong, shocking imagery that's called hyperbole. It's not to be taken literally. He uses this at times. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. How many of you have you ever had your eyes cause you to sin? I'm going to raise both hands. The rest of you are liars, okay? All right, today at uh, 10 we're having the eye-plucking service. Please come over here. I'm wearing gloves for that. How do we know that Jesus is speaking hyperbole. How do we know? He's like, man, if your hand calls in, chop it off. Well, we know that because he's saying very shocking things to awake people, and we see in the early church, every Saturday night is the hand-chopping ceremony. Come and chop your hands off. They never did that. They didn't have the eye-plucking service after the church service talking about sin. He's using strong, shocking imagery here. This extreme danger of sin is so serious that truly you must reject sin and temptation and have victory over even to the point of doing extreme things physically. To stumble shows up here often. To entrap. To snare. To cause someone to sin. This is where, in fact, the Greek word sounds just like it. This is where we get the word scandalous. It's a scandal. Don't cause others to sin. Don't lead them. Don't entrap them. Don't bring them to areas where they would stumble and fall. Don't allow others to sin and don't allow yourself to fall into sin. There's a great evil if you cause another believer to sin and hinder their path in their growth of Christ. As a preacher of the word, I take this very seriously to my heart. I want to make sure I don't cause others to sin in what I share. If we lead people into sin or lead ourselves into sin, We will get God's judgment upon us. Beware of leading others to sin. It will be dangerous for yourself. In fact, I've got, if you want to do a hide and seek in my office, go ahead. I've got kind of tucked away in my office initials of different ministers and pastors who once the world thought they were wonderful and they gave in to sin they took pride in their heart and let it grow they caused others to sin and now they're in the news just got their initials you don't even know probably who most of them are jp jt jm a couple of them and just the list goes on i have that so i see it once in a while and go oh, don't end up like them Deal with that sin within. Millstone. Jesus mentioned this is a huge stone placed on top of another stone. It was rolled to crush the grain to make flour with an animal. It was so heavy to be pulled. And this type of death, can you imagine tying it around you and being thrown in the lake or the river or wherever? You'd be done forever. This type of death and cutting hand, a plucking eye out, those types of physical suffering would be better than suffering in hell. Lastly, the horrors of hell. Gehenna here is this garbage dump, just outside of Jerusalem, where they would take garbage and they would, it would pile up so much they would begin to burn it and would burn all night. And there was stuff in there that would make you sick by just smelling it. you could throw up. It's this garbage pit. And it was a place that became the symbol of the final place of judgment. You go there, you put your stuff there, it is done forever. It stinks. It's putrid. It's burning. It's gross. And the smells of decay were there. In fact, in the Old Testament, that's the place where Pagans would do human sacrifice. Jesus talks about hell. We'll talk about hell another time more, but listen to this. Hell is real. It's a real place of eternal punishment. Beware of the wrong teaching that says God is love. That's true. But God is so loving, He could never send someone to hell. Hell is real. And people who preach something like that go, well, there can't be a real hell. This is just imagery. This is another hyperbole. And no, no, there's no real hell. God's too loving. Love wins in the end. Anybody catch that? Okay, was a book that came out. Hell is a real place of eternal punishment. It's where the worm's eaten. It's not quenched. It keeps going and going forever. Look at me. Sin is not worth going to hell for. You hear me? Sin is not worth going to hell for. I remember I got got some friends who were like, ah, whatever. I'm just going to party on earth and just live it up and then I'll party in hell. Hell is a real place. Of eternal punishment so here it is repent or suffer the punishment of hell right one of the greatest reasons to fight against sin is hell you want ambition to fight against sin and realize you need to surrender your life to Christ hell we'll talk more about hell at another time Let's finish our passage at hand and we'll look more at the topic of sin within as we do with application. Verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt has a purifying effect just as the same as fire has that purifying effect. Salt was used as a purifying agent back in the first century, in the ancient times, where it would keep food from getting bad. Here, the disciples must have salt within. We must pursue purity and make a godly difference in the world. True discipleship has a purifying effect. and We must have the kingdom truths of God they must be at the center of our lives, which purify the Christian community, which brings unity. And that's our passage. I'm cruising quickly through it. And part of me was like, oh, don't go so fast, but well, I've got to get to application. We've got plenty of time. We'll just have second service join us, right? All right, application, here we go. Fighting sin with the pleasure and passion for God. How do we get rid of sin? Much I've learned, and I had the book at home. I was reading it this week, and I forgot at home, so I think I got a copy of it here. Is there? Stacy's not here. I sent a picture of it. Sorry. There it is. Get this book. John Owen is one of my favorite authors. He's a Puritan back in the old days. It's hard to read at times, But these guys, what they have done is, Kelly and Justin have put together his three famous works on how to fight sin. And they've got like introductions so you can understand what he means by mortification, what what Scripture means by that. Just get this book. If any of you struggle with sin, oh, that's all of us, right? This book here, Overcoming Sin and Temptation, three classic works of John Owen. He's taught me a lot. I've learned a lot from John Owen on how to fight sin with the pleasure and treasure of God. He goes through Scripture and that's how he teaches it. One of the best ways to fight sin is not guilt-ridden legalism that produces joyless Christianity. Woe is you. Bad to you. And you're just kind of beating on yourself and just like, oh, I'm so bad. I'm so miserable. True. But you have the beauty of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the treasuring of God the Father which we're going to talk about here in a moment. One of the best ways to fight sin is not guilt-ridden legalism that produces joyless Christianity. The true consequences of sin are devastating. Both today and the effects last for eternity. And Scripture here teaches us we must abstain from all forms of sin. But this call in Scripture often comes after the reminder to treasure God above all things. Why go after worthless, empty pleasures that just last for a moment and can destroy you? Treasure Him. Sin. So here's the definition. There's many definitions of sin in Scripture and and missing the mark and all this. So here's one from Wayne Grudem i think it's great to understand that sin isn't just doing something bad maybe an action but it's also attitude part of our nature we're sinful the entrapment of sin can begin with this what i would call a descent of addictions into bondage so what are the unhealthy addictions that you may have alcohol anger lust Sleep, sex, lying, games, social media, people. Let me me give you an example here. Let's say I go for my checkup, okay? Go into my checkup for the doctor, and the doctor's like, oh, let me draw some blood. I'm like, yeah, draw some blood, no problem. And it comes right in right away of 13 other doctors. They're like, dude. They don't call me dude, but, anyways, listen. We just found out something about your blood. Never, never eat. I'm going, oh, it better not be cheeseburgers. Never, never eat Twizzlers. What? There's something that what Twizzlers have put together. Not, hopefully no one here is, you know, works for Twizzlers. Don't eat Twizzlers. You'll die if you eat them. How many of you like Twizzlers? I do. Especially when they're fresh. If they're like a year old and they're hard, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, so you've done that too seal the package many times our struggles with sin begins with this descent of addiction so here's what we got here we get this temptation and we're unprepared and oh my check out this beauty I just bought today oh I guess I was unprepared to look over there. So here's what it begins. You're unprepared. You've got a struggle. You know you have a certain area of your life that you, you have an issue, the sin within, and you're not prepared. You haven't declared war on sin. You haven't protected yourself, and you're unprepared. Oh. And then you give in to sin. I'm just going to smell it, okay? Oh, <laughs> You know that smell. Oh, that's a good smell. That is a good smell. Yes. <laughs> now after you smell that great strawberry smell, which I'm sure mumsums would be like, that's not strawberry. We'll tell you what real strawberries are. You're unprepared. That then leads to the next word, friendship. You're like, oh, you're my buddy. You're my pal. You know, just the little's not bad. We'll hang out once in a while. Hopefully, my wife doesn't see me doing that. Mmm, that's not too bad. Here's what C.S. Lewis says We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink, sex, ambition, when infinite joy is offered. I love strawberries, my second favorite fruit next to bacon. Oh, wait, that's not on the list. Okay. I love the strawberry taste. But Hugh is probably going, Cody, June, we've got bundles. What are, you, what are you happy about this one? we got the real stuff over there. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drinks, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like ignorant ch- a child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum We just continue eating this junk. Then after friendship, here's what happens then. And some of you know that's where you stop. But here's where addictions begin to take over. Next one is infatuation and worship. This is ultimately about idolatry and worship, people. Sin is. We'll see this in a moment. We give in to its cravings. We can't stop eating it. I'm going to hide this under my pillow. My wife's sleeping up. I'm in the office. You open up my drawers. There's Twizzlers everywhere. I got this shirt on the outside, but on the inside, I got a Twizzler shirt underneath it, hiding it, right? We get infatuated by that sin. We get trapped by its cravings, idolatry. This is the darkness, and some of you understand this. And that leads to what? Slavery. Then you get this addiction of love and betrayal and slavery, out of control cravings, and that leads to tragedy and death. Dangerous. Why do we fall? Please listen to me. Our major, deepest problem is not alcohol, isn't sexual addictions, it isn't anger, it isn't lust, it isn't your desire for self-control, it isn't Twizzlers. Our major, deepest problem aren't those issues. Our deepest problem is sin. Taking honor away from God. Missing the mark. Failing to love and acknowledge, obey God, and be satisfied in Him. God has what we should pursue. He's given us the path of holiness. Instead, I go, whoa, check out that Twizzler. It's not that bad, is it? And people get entrapped in this. It's a danger. And Jesus uses three parts of the body. The hand, the foot, and the eye. Your eyes can do great things and see great things, but also there's things in this world that your eye can go, whoa, check that out. This sounds weird, but I was in high school. Maybe that is not weird, but I liked girls when I was in high school. And I remember, I was like, oh man, i got to control myself. So here's what I would do. So guys, listen. I, this sounds nerdy and weird, but this is just, I'm weird. In high school, every girl that walked by might I'd go, only the eyes, only the eyes, only the eyes. Not, I wouldn't say that out loud, then they'd put me in, you know, in a cuckoo house or something. But I'd be just going, only the eyes, and I'd get like that. And people are probably like, what is his problem? I'm looking at the girls, only their eyes, only their eyes. But I drilled with it myself, i got to fight against sin, and the struggle, and the temptations. So my eyes, I'd rather pluck it out, right? Your feet. Don't go to places you know where this temptation began where you're unprepared and you look and you get this friendship going and then out of that then you get infatuated and then idolatry happens. Keep your feet on the right path and your hands. These are parts of the body and if diseased, if they were cancerous, Better to amputate and cut them and pluck them out, right? Than to lose your life. And this is extended into the spiritual realm. So here's this phrase. I should have put it up on the screen, but here it is. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the gospel and the kingdom in a few weeks here, defining that more. But the gospel generates a condition of change in all areas of my life. Especially the areas that I struggle with in my sin. And it recognizes the reality of God's sovereign rule. He's totally in control. And we are to fight against sin. Let me quote Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die but if by the Spirit you're putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So what I want to do is I want to give you, in closing here, a Trinitarian understanding of how to fight sin. John Owen says this in his writing, Fill your affections... With the cross of Christ, that there may be no more room for sin. Set your affections so on the beauty of the cross, whoops, that there's no room for sin. Because when all I look at the cross, all is about the cross, I realize he did that for me. I belong to him. He died so I could live. And my affections are so on Christ sin becomes like why would i do that anymore fill your affections on the cross of christ that there may be no room for sin so let me give you a trinitarian remedy to fight sin very simple here god the father he is our treasure amen he is our treasure the foundation of obedience is a result of our treasuring God. We don't do it out of duty. We do it out of delight. The more you see what God has for you and is given to you, we want to be like Him as God is, so we are to be. Be holy for I am holy. That's eight times in Scripture, just so you know. This is a war over what we want and love the most. This is really a worship war. One of the best ways to weaken the influence of the world is to treasure God. We can win the war against the pleasures of sin by fixating our heart on the pleasures and treasures of God. Many times we are attracted to sin, it's allurements, and "Oh, that will please me for a while. But God has the greatest pleasures His way for you, period. Treasure Him. Every aspect of our life should be an expression of treasuring God. And I pray that you would awaken your affection for God, because He's our ultimate treasure. And the best way to do that is learn about Him in Scripture. Amen? Keep your fingers in the Word. We war against the fleeting pleasures of sin with the pleasure and treasure of God. I like Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's His kindness, that leads us to repentance you want to get rid of sin you want to repent of sin you can unction all you can and fighting you're, you're gonna fail but when you treasure and see the beauty and the character of God it's his kindness ah, oh, that leads us to repentance next Christ he is the remedy and in him we preach the gospel to ourselves Flood your heart and your mind and your soul with the truths of God. So when Satan comes knocking, saying, look at this great Twizzler, you can be like, ah, no. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, what? Dwells within us. Without the death of Christ, there is no death to sin. Romans chapter 6. The cross of Jesus brought death to sin. And we've been made holy through His sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10. Once for all. Yet my death to sin, does not mean I'm free from the entanglements of sin? And the world, the flesh, and the enemy. We do have a real struggle in sin. But we can have victory through the power of the cross. Amen? Galatians chapter 2.20. That's Aaron's favorite verse. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know that sin's mastery over the Christian has been broken. I wanted to spend two hours on Romans 6. Read Romans 6 this afternoon, please. Standing on the work of Christ, then standing on the promises of God, we preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves our position in Christ. Here's what John Owen says. Set faith at work on Christ for the killing of your sin. His blood is the great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. I'm like, that's me. He's the remedy. And we are to apply the reality of the gospel and the work of the cross on our lives. The world tells you, sin's okay. Come on, Twizzlers. Don't worry about it. You can just get a filling later, right? But the Gospel says, in the sickness of my sin, I should remember the cross and the beauty of Christ and His love for me God has freed us from the slavery of sin to become slaves to righteousness. Read Romans 6. Which leads us to holiness and joy in a life that reflects the One who saved us. Recently, I've been listening to a lot of Keith Green music. Anybody remember the name Keith Green? Just last night, these words. That nothing lasts except the grace of God by which i stand jesus i know that i would surely fall away except for the grace by which i'm saved i remember listening to that. i was in the basement i was like wow i truly would fall away except for the grace that is found in christ jesus amen or another one he's got after all I've only grieved Your Spirit, and then I don't know why You stay with me. But every time I fall, Your love comes through. And I don't want to fall away from You. I don't want to fall away from You. The standard of holy living is regulated by God's Word. Thus, our energy should be focusing on obeying God's Word Please read the Bible often. Hear it preached often. Come to God in prayer and be surrounded by people who are passionate about Christ. All right, the Holy Spirit. He is the power and applies the work of Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, all other ways to fight sin are in vain, period. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. Every other way is helpless. You can't do it. He's the agent and the power, we learn in Ephesians, in Romans. Or as John Stott says, he gives the desire, the determination, and the discipline. Well, you might be strong in yourself. You could fight things for a while. But truly, sin will overcome you if you think you can do it on your own. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. Fight with the power of the Holy Spirit. in Romans 6 gives us that insight. We are saved from the wrath of God. Praise God. From the penalty of sin. Praise God. By His grace. Romans 6. But we also need to fight the power of sin. Found in the middle and end of Romans 6. Leading into chapter 7 where Paul goes, Why do I keep straw? I just don't get it. And then chapter 8. As my father-in-law says in his commentary, chapter 8, in his introduction, here is the solution it's given. Namely, living our lives according to the power of the indwelling Spirit. The active force in the believer's life and enables them to defeat the flesh and live in victory. Romans 8 has the word Spirit more than any chapter of the Bible. Read Romans 8 and memorize it. In fact, there's two girls in a youth group who are almost done memorizing it, so I'm taking them out to their favorite restaurant, wherever that is. Memorize it. Let's go out to eat. Let me close with this. I'm getting old. I gotta use my glasses to see my dime here. Okay. Make the resolve today. Yeah, to fight the sin on the outside. It's it's gross and nasty and. Uh, yeah, don't, don't get stuff on you. Stay away from the pollutants of this world. It's real. But even more is the sin within. The stuff you don't see and show to other people, but you've got it brooding within you. Here are five resolves that I got down in me when I was in college. There can be no revival without the confessing of sin and the church eradicating sin in their lives. Number one, repent of every known sin. Write these down. I should have made a card to have these out. Repent of every known sin. Better to have your hand cut off Forsake all questionable habits and activity. Oh, should I do this one? Is this one? I don't know, It doesn't say in the Bible. I can't be doing this. And I forsake it, Get rid of it. There's no time for it. Number two, make right any wrongs between yourself and others. Number four, continue with God in prayer and dig in His word. Walk with Him, talk with him. Let the Word of God shape you. Treasure it. Read Psalm 19, verses 7-14 through 14 and see the beauty of God's Word. And number five, trust God to use you to show His love to others. In a very Trinitarian way, we have the resources to totally fight against sin. And some of you have failed because you think you can do it on your own or you love keeping that jacket tight so no one sees what's on the inside. Beware of the sin within. A holy life without control of sin is a contradiction. Be made strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Not yours but still we must fight. So today, one word. Summarize this all in one word. Surrender. Surrender. You can't do it. You can't win on your own. Trust the Lord. Set your affection so on the cross of Christ that there's no room for sin. One of the ways I have continued to keep a good marriage is my affections are so on that lady there is no room for others. Right? Why? I would rather gouge my eyes out. Set your affections so on the beauty of Christ. The power of the Spirit. Treasure God. One word. Surrender. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and I confess and I ask publicly that you forgive Maranatha at times because we've acted like elitists. We're the best church. Only the elders can do this. We have the best way to do outreach. Well, that other church down the road, they don't know what worship's about. They, oh, they don't even read the Bible as much as we do. Forgive us. And I ask that you would help us love and care for other churches, other Christian evangelical churches. Because there are some who call themselves a church and they're not a church. They're just a cult. Help us love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us love those in this room. Forgive us for our hidden sins. And Lord, I pray today that right now we would just whisper those words to You. I surrender. I surrender. God, help us see the beauty of you. Treasure you. You are so wonderful and beautiful. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Stand and join us in our life.